0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world.
1: Thanks Dave, thanks Donna. So good to be with you this morning again on Gateway Online and wherever you are joining us, let me just say, great to have you with us. Everyone is welcome here at Gateway. And as Donna's mentioned, it's my great privilege to be continuing our No Other Name series, our new teaching series that Jason kicked off last week. And if you missed that, jump online and watch that. It was a great word, a great encouragement for you. Hey, uh, if you've never met me or I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Andrew Mayne. Uh, Everyone around here calls me Maney. And it's not that creative a nickname, but it's one that's followed me throughout my whole life, from school and when I moved to Brisbane as a 17-year-old, everyone just started calling me Maney. As I said, not that creative, but that's the way nicknames seem to be in our culture. I think about the people I hang out with. Most of my friends have picked up a nickname along the journey somewhere and they're creative. Sometimes they're funny, but they're usually not that significant. Like I think about some of my friends, I hang out with a guy that we just call Daz. I've got some other guys with some weirder names like the Penguin or the Pirate. I've got a friend named Chestnut, the Magnet or Ellen. I mean, I can guarantee you that none of those names are deep or significant. Actually, some of them have backstories that probably don't even wanna ask about. But that's a little bit about the way we do things in our culture. And so, when we jump into the scriptures, we have to do a little bit of work to understand that in the time that the scriptures were written, names had such significance. The names were deep, the names carried a sense of someone's calling or their character. Names spoke to people's nature or the hopes of their parents over their story. Names were attached to people's identities. And so this morning, I'm going to talk to you about another name that we find for God in the Scriptures. Last week, Jason spoke about Jehovah Jireh, God as our provider. And he talked about that in the context of the story of Abraham and Isaac. I want to rewind us a little bit further into that story this morning, back to when Abraham, or as we find in the story today, Abram first appears in the biblical narrative. And through that, we're going to discover something new and fresh about God. Abram first appears without a lot of pomp and ceremony. We know nothing much of this guy. We don't get a sense that he's spectacular or wonderful or has great achievements. We just get a sense that God in His grace decides to choose this man through which he's going to do something incredible. And God meets in the book of Genesis chapter 12, Abram in a moment where he says, Abram, I'm going to do something incredible through your story. He says, actually, Abram, through your story, all people on earth are gonna be blessed. Let me just read a little bit of the narrative between God and Abram in Genesis chapter 12. God says this to him, I will make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. And so God says to Abram, Abram, I want you to leave your home. I want you to go to the land that I'm gonna show you. And all we hear is that Abram, is obedient to God's call on his life. There's another little detail that comes out in Genesis chapter 12 that's gonna be important to our story this morning. And it's that it tells us that when Abram leaves to follow the call of God on his life, he's 75 years of age. And then for the next couple of chapters of Genesis, we see that God continues to affirm this promise to Abram. He says, Abram, I'm gonna give you a land and I'm gonna give you multiple descendants. But Abram's obviously had time to think about this and recognise that one of the problems with God's promise for his life is that he has no kids of his own. And so by the time we get to Genesis chapter 15, Abram's obviously been reflecting deeply on what it looks like for God to fulfil his promises. And at the start of Genesis 15, God appears to Abram in a vision and has another conversation with him. And this is what Abram says to God in chapter 15, verse two. "His Sovereign Lord, What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, God, I love your promise. It's a great promise. But let's just think about how this is going to work out because I don't have any kids. And right now, everything that I have is going to get passed on to someone that isn't even my own flesh and blood. You start to see that Abram's story started with a promise. And right now, it's moved to a point of a little bit of just frustration. If we turn the page though, if we move to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 16, we see that it goes beyond frustration though for Abram. And one of the things I don't want us to miss in this, sometimes we read the scriptures, like the the story I'm telling now, we could read in three or four minutes. And sometimes we read the scriptures like it's a new day, therefore a new miracle of God. But as we move to Genesis chapter 16, it tells us that at this stage, Abram is now 86 years old. So from Genesis 12 to Genesis 16, 11 years have passed. And 11 years where Abrams lived in the promise of God and asked, God, are you going to fulfil this? What are you going to do? You see, at 75, the promise sounded a bit crazy. He was an old man, but there was probably some plausibility in it. But now 11 years later at 86, Abrams starting to give up that this could ever be fulfilled. And I understand Abram's frustration. And many of you today probably understand Abram's frustration. I mean, 11 years is a really long time. You know, when someone promises you something, you don't want to wait 11 years to see that fulfilled. Somewhere around 4,000 days where every moment Abram's woken up and thought, I wonder if today's going to be the day where God fulfills His promise that He made to me all those years ago. I wonder if today is going to be the day where Sarai, my wife, comes and tells me that she's pregnant. I wonder if today is the day that the miracle is going to happen. And you can see over time, you can imagine what would be happening for Abram and Sarai in this story. They must be thinking to themselves, I wonder if we heard God right. I wonder if God is actually as powerful and as mighty as He suggested that He is. I wonder if God can be trusted. I wonder if God Is faithful. I wonder if by Genesis chapter 16, the dialogue and the narrative in their head is one of doubt and questions. And the frustration that was just born out of impatience has now come to the point where they've given up on God's promise to them. Genesis 16, verse 2 says this: Sarai says to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. So go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can build a family. Through her. And then listen to this Abram agreed to what Sarai said. I mean, it's stupid enough to try and take the matters of God's promises into your own hand. It's absolutely crazy, though, when your wife suggests that you go and be with another woman and you agree with her and you go and do that. You see, Abram, 11 years after God had promised that he would make him great and would bless him and increase his descendants, has decided that he's given up on the promise of God. He's gonna take matters into his own hands. What was a promise that led to some frustration has now turned into rebellion as Abram decides that he's gonna work this out for himself. And Abram goes and he sleeps with another woman and she does bear him a child. But this is not what God had promised. This was not the promise of God for Abram because God's promise was for he and his wife. This wasn't the way that God saw it happening. And I just wanna take a little aside just for one moment, just to encourage some of you that need to hear this today. But I wonder if some of us have decided to take matters into our own hands because we've given up on the promises of God to us, whether it's because of doubt or frustration or just questions as to whether we heard right. And we've decided to take the miracle away from God and try and manufacture or manipulate it for ourselves. Uh, Don't give up on God. If He's promised, He'll be faithful to His promises. Don't shortchange yourself from seeing the miracle that God might want to do in your life. Genesis 16 concludes and we hear of this child that Abram bore with his servant. And then we go to Genesis chapter 17 and again, a huge chunk of time transpires. It tells us at the start of Genesis 17 that Abram is now 99 years old, 24 years after the promises of God to him that we read in Genesis chapter 12. I wanna read verses one and two for us today. And I want us to really just sit on this verse for a moment because it's gonna be really important as a framework for what I wanna talk about today. But this is Genesis 17, verse one and two. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. I'm gonna read the rest of the story, but let me tell you how it transpires. God meets with Abram and Abram says, hey God, why don't you just you build this story through my son Ishmael that was born 13 years ago. And God says, no, no, that was never my promise, Abram. My promise was for you and your wife, Sarai. And in this moment, we see the name change. Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. And God says, I'm still gonna be faithful to the promise I made to you, Abram. And Abraham starts laughing, the Scriptures tell us, because it's so ludicrous now. As I said, when he was 17, he probably could have convinced himself that it might be plausible. But now at 99, he just knows that there is no way humanly possible that he and Sarah can bear a child, that God's promise can come to bear in their story. But God says, no, no, you watch what I do, Abraham. And a miracle occurs, the impossible occurs. And Sarah falls pregnant and gives birth to a son that they name Isaac. It's absolutely impossible. People 99 years of age don't conceive children. Just imagine Abraham and Sarah going out to their mailbox and wondering what was going to arrive first, their first child's birth certificate or their letter from the Queen. This is just crazy. But it's in the midst of this that we discover something new about God, a new name that the Scripture gives us for God. And it comes back to verse 1. Of that chapter, it says when Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, "I am God Almighty." If we go back to the original Hebrew text, it says, "I am El Shaddai." I am El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. I am El Shaddai, and God says, "I'm going to introduce you to a new side of who I am, Abraham. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty." And it's through that that I want to show you that I'm the God that can make the impossible possible. And I believe today that God wants us to discover Him as Almighty God, to lift our vision and understanding of who He is, to get a grander picture of His goodness and of His power and of His majesty. See, God did a miracle. God did the impossible in Abraham and Sarah's story. A couple right on the verge of the century, right on the verge of turning a hundred, conceive a child. You know, there's gonna be something confronting about my message today. Because God says to Abraham, I am El Shaddai, I am Almighty. God doesn't say to Abraham, I am mighty and I am powerful. God says, I am Almighty. I am all powerful. You see, God establishes Himself not as one among many, but one that stands above and over all things. I think some of us are going to be confronted by this message today because we find it easy to grasp onto the aspects of God that we like and that are easy. You know, God is gracious and God is compassionate and God is loving and gentle. We like some of His teachings and we might even acknowledge that He is somewhat powerful, but God doesn't allow us to just leave Him there. He says, I'm not just powerful, I am all powerful. I'm not just mighty, I am almighty. I am the Shaddai, the almighty, all-sufficient, all-powerful, omnipotent God. God is bigger than most of us have ever imagined. God is bigger and more powerful than you've ever imagined Him to be. And today, I hope that I help you get a greater glimpse of all that He is. You see, what's confronting about God as El Shaddai is that He sets Himself apart from everything else in all of creation. He doesn't allow Himself to just be one among many in your life. God in the Old Testament used to get cranky at His people when they worshipped other gods because God said, you, I don't deserve just to be placed on the shelf amongst other gods that you fashioned out of wood and out of stone, things that are the figments of your imagination. I'm the real, the living, the active God in your midst. And I deserve to be elevated and worshipped above all other things. You know, many people in our world today struggle with any claims about the exclusivity of God. About any religion that claims that their God is the one and the only one? And many people have used this to say, you know, Christianity is doing a great disservice to humanity by trying to claim that God is the one and only one above all things. But here's the thing, God in the Scriptures doesn't allow us just to place Him among all others. He claims to be exclusive. He's not content with being considered as one option among many. He demands exclusivity. And if we go to Exodus, the book of Exodus, we find another name for God that's not a name that we'd naturally attribute to God. Exodus 13 verse 14 says this, God says, Do not worship any other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. We talk about jealousy, uh, rightly we talk about jealousy as a really harmful and sinful thing that, that jealousy can tear apart relationships and, and break down that which is good. But in this context, if we misunderstand the way it's used, we get the wrong picture of who God is. You see, in the context of Exodus, it's used within the, the idea of a covenant relationship. And the way that the Scripture talks about the covenant relationship that God creates with mankind is the same way that we talk about marriage. That as a husband and a wife come together to the exclusion of all others, God calls us to be His people to the exclusion of all others. And in the same way as a husband and a wife jealously guards that relationship, so God jealously guards the allegiance that we have to Him and the relationship that we have with Him. And so God desires that we place Him above all things as the Almighty El Shaddai. Fast forward to the New Testament. Acts chapter four, Peter and John have been dragged before the Sanhedrin because they've been telling people about Jesus and because they've been performing miracles in His name. And in this great speech, they say to the Sanhedrin in Acts four, verse 12, salvation is found in, listen, no one else. Not Jesus gives you an option for salvation or Jesus shows a way to find salvation. The salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name. Under heaven, given to mankind by which we must be saved. You know, I recognize for some of us watching today that this is a statement with huge implication. You know, so often we've reduced our vision of the almighty, all powerful, creator God to something that we can contain and comprehend. But who wants to serve a God of limited power? God is much bigger than you've ever imagined him to be. You know, so often we who are created in His image try to turn God into someone that's created in our image. We try to fit Him into our own image. So God becomes someone who looks like us, who sounds like us, who thinks like us, who carries the same prejudice that we do, that likes the same people that we do and despises the people that we do. He votes the same way. That we do. He enjoys the same hobbies that we have. You know, we've got to be careful that we don't try and contain the Almighty God, the El Shaddai, into something that fits in a box where He looks a little bit like us and sounds a little bit like us and thinks a little bit like us. God is much bigger than you've ever imagined. So if God becomes just something that fits into a box, we've missed out on experiencing Him in all of His fullness. You know, if God is not bigger than your comprehension, bigger than your knowledge, bigger than your circumstances, bigger than the impossibility that faces you, then you haven't seen Him in all the fullness of His power and His glory. If God is not someone who has something new for you to discover about Him every day, then you've got a limited picture of God Almighty, of El should I. You know, Abraham over time started to question God's power and decided to take matters into his own hands. He didn't trust God's timing. He didn't trust God's faithfulness. And we can do the same. And I just want to reflect on that for a few minutes and and get you just to really reflect on a few things. Because you see, if we have a diminished understanding of God's power, it leads to a diminished trust in His call on our lives. Let me say that again. If we have a diminished understanding of God's power, it leads to a diminished trust in His call on our lives. If God is not... All powerful, We're going to allow other things to become more powerful in our life. We're going to allow other narratives to overtake the narrative of the Almighty God. We're going to allow our doubts to become bigger than the Word of God. We're going to allow our insecurities to become bigger than the Word of God. We're going to start to trust God's timing. We're going to start to believe that we could do a better job than He does. You know what? We don't want to have a diminished understanding of God's power because God calls us to be His people. He calls us to do great things. But if we don't see Him as Almighty God, suddenly we start to question the limit of His power. Secondly, I want to say this, a diminished understanding of God's power leads to a diminished faith in His power to act. At some point in the story, Abraham started to believe that God couldn't come through with the goods. But God meets with Abraham and says, let me tell you something new about me, Abraham. I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. And where you thought the miracle had passed, I wanna show you that I'm the miracle working God that can now do the, can make your impossible possible. And so Abraham has a child and God's promises come true in his story. Let's fast forward to the other end of the scripture for just a moment. You see, the story of Abraham is one of the first stories we read, one of the first moments where God interacts with people. We go to the back end of the Scripture and a friend of Jesus, someone that was a disciple of Jesus, a man named John, gets a vision of that which is to come. And it's all recorded in a book that we know as Revelation, the last book in the Bible. It's some Times a really hard book to read and interpret. It's full of imagery and you know visions and stuff that's really hard to grasp. But but early in the book, in Revelation chapter four, it says that John is welcomed into the throne room of heaven. And as we can imagine, the throne room of heaven is just a scene that is beyond anything that our human minds can comprehend. But as John walks into the throne room of heaven, he sees these two groups, and both of them are just speaking words and expressing words over God and. These are the words they express. The first group just says this over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then the second group just say these words. You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. See, Abraham had no idea that the one that promised him a child Was the one through whom all things were created, the one who would reign forevermore. You know, I hope right now that your spirit is lifted, that you have a vision of God that is bigger than the one you had 20 minutes ago, because the El Shaddai, the Almighty God, is bigger than you have ever imagined. He's more powerful than you've ever given Him credit for. He's more loving and more gracious and more compassionate. Than maybe you've ever considered. But the most incredible thing about the El Shaddai, Almighty God, was that despite all his power, his glory, his majesty, he still chose to come and be clothed in human flesh and blood and make himself known to us, his creation, so that we might know his grace and his redemption. And I want to tell you as we finish today a story that comes through the life of Jesus. Because in Jesus, we see the grace of God, the compassion of God, the gentleness of God. But we also see God Almighty breaking through. And this comes from Matthew chapter eight. And it says this, "'Then Jesus got into the boat and His disciples followed Him. "'And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake "'so that the waves swept over the boat, "'but Jesus was sleeping. "'The disciples went and woke Him saying, "'Lord, save us, we're gonna drown.'" And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You know, some of us love the words of Jesus. Some of us love the way that Jesus interacted with people. Some of us love the grace that He displayed to broken, hurting people. But Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus didn't just do nice things. Jesus wasn't just powerful. Jesus was Almighty God, El Shaddai, clothed in human flesh and blood. And the one whose words calm the storm and still the waves, the one who does something that logic cannot explain, See, we can explain our way a whole bunch of other things, but when we read the story of Jesus standing on a boat and speaking to the weather, there is nothing logical we can say to make sense of that. There is no science or magic that re- can reproduce that. There is no way we can explain that away other than if it's true. Jesus, God Almighty, speaks and even nature bows its knee to its Creator. And so as Jesus stands on the boat and commands even the forces of nature to be still, today I reckon He wants to whisper this to you. There's no fear that I can't conquer. There's no storm that I can't calm. And there's no enemy that I cannot defeat. Almighty God wants to speak those words over you today no fear that I can't conquer, no storm I can't calm, no enemy I can't defeat. And an even greater miracle occurs just a short time after this story, because Jesus goes to Jerusalem and He's arrested and He's beaten and He's whipped and He's hung on a Roman cross and His life is given for many, for you and for me. But the story doesn't end there because on the third day, He walked free from the clutches of death. There is no enemy that Jesus cannot defeat, not even the enemy of sin and death. He's crushed them under His feet. In Romans 6, verses 8 to 10 says this, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. And whatever storm you're walking through right now, whatever fear is overwhelming you, I wanna invite you to come to the feet of the Almighty God, whose very Word can calm the wind and the waves, whose very Word can calm and bring peace into the fear in your heart, who can help you stand and sustain the storms that come against you in this life. You know, as we finish today, I'd love to pray for a whole bunch of us. Firstly, I want to pray for anyone that has never chosen to put their trust in Almighty God, in the God whose very Word can calm the winds and the waves. You know, God is jealous for you. He's so desperate that you would come to know Him. He's so desperate just to lavish upon you His love and His grace. He's so desperate for you to discover just how good He is. I mean, look at the story of Abraham. At one point in the story of Abraham, Abraham said, I don't trust you anymore, God. I'm gonna do things my own way. But God doesn't give up on Abraham. He steps back into Abraham's story and says, "Yeah, Abraham, You went outside of what I wanted you to do. You gave up on me. You tried to take things into your own hands. But let me show you what grace looks like, Abraham. My promises to you are still going to be fulfilled. And maybe you just thought that God's given up on you. Well, this morning I'd love to introduce you to the God that loves you more than you could ever imagine. The God who is bigger than you've ever considered Him to be. And so if you'd like to join me this morning in that prayer, it's gonna come up on the screen in just a moment. And we would love to help you begin your new life as a follower of Jesus. On your screen right now, there's gonna be a little button that you can push that just says, I've prayed that prayer. And can I encourage you today to push that button if you pray this for the first time with me? It's really important. This is your starting point today. But being part of a community of people that encourage you, that help you discover more of who Jesus is is gonna be really important. And so as we pray this, if this is your day, if this is your moment, if this is the day where you say, I'm gonna surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus, pray this prayer with me and then let us know so we can help you discover more every day of who Jesus is and the purposes that He has for your life. Hey, would you pray with me right now? Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything I know is wrong and I choose to follow You. Thanks that You died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. Thank You that You offer me forgiveness and promise me new life. Please come into my life so I can know Your power and Your grace forever. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, I really encourage you just to connect with one of our team, one of our pastoral team that is online this morning just by letting us know by clicking that button. We would love to do that journey with you. But as we conclude, we're about to sing. One last song that just speaks to the reckless love of God. There's no mountain that he can't go up. There's nothing that he's going to get in the way of his love for you. There's nothing that's impossible for God. He makes all things possible. But today, I wonder if there's a whole bunch of us that, like Abraham, have had the promise of God over our life and we've just given up because God hasn't brought it to fruition in the timing that we expected. Well, I wanna pray for you that you would discover again, Almighty God, the El Shaddai, the miracle working, promise keeping God who makes the impossible things in life possible. Or or maybe you like the disciples are just sitting in, in a boat right now and you're overwhelmed by the storm, the wind and the waves are lashing against you. And you need to discover again, Almighty God, whose very word can calm the waves and can still the storms in your life. I'd love just to pray with you as we conclude. And if you, want, if you want, I often just put out my hand as an act of surrender and as just a way of saying, God, I receive this prayer. You might wanna do that with me this morning. But Lord God, I wanna thank You for Your faithfulness. I wanna thank You for Your goodness. I wanna thank You for Your grace. But today, God, I wanna thank You that You are El Shaddai, God Almighty, all-powerful, almighty, all-sufficient, God. There is no one like You. There is no one above You. You are above and over all things. And Lord, I wanna pray this morning for those who have given up on the promises that You've spoken so clearly to them. God, I wanna pray that You would just build a new trust into their spirit, not to take matters into their own hands, but just know that Your timing is different from ours. But if God has promised, You are faithful to Your promises. And Lord, for those that right now might be facing a real storm, whether in their family, whether in another relationship, whether in their finances or their workplaces, maybe with their health. God, we don't always get the outcome that we desire, but we know we stand with the one whose very Word can calm the wind and can calm the waves and whose very action has actually given us the promise of life and life eternal, that resurrection power. God, may we see you work in your might and your power in people's lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to say, great to be with you this morning, church. Bless you. Take those words and be strong in the goodness of God this week. Be strong in His might and His power. Why don't we conclude by singing a song that just speaks to the truth that I've spoken of this morning.
0: Down fast Awful, still your
1: Hey, thanks for being with us today at Gateway Online. If you'd like to, you can come back at six o'clock tonight for a different service. We're into a new series there called Disruption. And our young adults pastor here at Mackenzie, Lauren Lucas, is gonna be bringing a great message. And then next Sunday, it's Mother's Day. And we cannot wait to put on a special service that's gonna be a blessing for all our mums. So make sure you're back online with us next week. Hey church, be blessed. We're so glad to see you with us today. And we hope that this week is a week where you know the goodness of God, the grace of God, and the almighty power of God. Bless you.
0: We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.